Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Fitness Solution. Not even this week. I digress. It's monthly at the moment, isn't it? However, I do have an announcement to make on that. I was chatting with my dear fiance the other day um, as I published a new blog post, um, which was how to get past a weight loss plateau. If you haven't read it yet, I recommend you do. It's on www.thegymstarter.com. But I was talking to my fiance the other day about uh, it and or about my blogs. And she was like, why don't you do an audio version of these as well? Because I'm so much more likely to listen to that than, I don't know why I'm doing a silly voice, my fiance, well, she sounds Australian, but um, she was like, I'd be much more willing to kind of like listen to that as opposed to read or what you write. And I think she values what I write. She just prefers to listen. That's how she learns better. So this is a big, big, big deal. Big deal. I am going to start doing blog posts as podcasts as a bonus episode each month for you my dear listeners aren't you lucky please don't crash the car with excitement as you're listening to this please stay safe um so i will start working through that month on month on month and the trouble i have is i often get bogged down in writing like four in a month and things like that so you know it, it should be the gift that keeps on giving and that would be very exciting um so I look forward to doing that for you. But today we're back to Q&A. Now, if you, if you listen to this podcast and you want to, oh, what am I going to say? If you want to submit a question to me, then the best place to do that is by getting onto my email list. So just head to my website. In fact, I'll put the link in the show notes, but just head to my website and it says, send me a friend request. Send me a friend request on there. And then on the 5th of every month, I send out an email asking for questions. And that's where how I get the questions for my podcast, if that makes sense. So it'd be awesome to have you on there. And then it will be awesome to uh, move forward from that. And, um, and then, you know, if you're listening to this and you have questions and you want me to answer, then that's that. So I've got a number of questions today, which is awesome. Um, and let's just start from the top, I suppose. Right. Oh, also, I hope you all had a lovely month. Um, mine's been very busy, but very exciting all at the same time. Passed my referee fitness test, which was good, amongst other things. Um, yeah. So, right. So this comes from uh, one of my clients on the Strong Confident program, actually, which is pretty cool. Um, she said, so after I talked to you yesterday, I read the six strategies to help stop late night eating and food cravings, which is one of my blog posts. Then I decided to read the best meal plan for female weight loss. Well, anyway, in that, you mentioned the upper and lower calorie window. Now, for the first, like, three weeks on the Strong and Confident program, I misunderstood, I think, and put myself at the upper window. Only then, I think, it was one of your audios to either me or her husband. You mentioned the lower one and used the upper one for flexibility. So I changed mine from 1,927 calories a day to 1,733 calories a day. I'm still able to keep within it with no issues, but in the best meal plan for female weight loss, you mentioned you prefer people to not be below their lower number and to actually try to meet it. I've been, I think, um, try not to be below their lower number and to actually try to meet the higher number. I've been below that and rarely meet my daily calories. Is this an issue? Should I be aiming higher? I guess I'm a little confused. Um, and that's perfectly understandable. Like, this does get confusing. So basically, uh, my client there, she's asking whether being under her calorie window each and every day is a problem. 
and whether she should aim for the higher calories each day um, and, and what kind of effect that will have. Now, the truth is, it doesn't matter. Like, the truth is that you are likely to be able to keep up a calorie restriction to the lower window that I set. So I set, when I set calories for people, I set an upper window, which is your goal weight in pounds times by 12. And then I set the lower window to your basal metabolic rate. And all I ask for you to do is to land somewhere in the middle there. And that's it. Now, the reason that I'm an advocate of telling people to always aim higher is it gives them the permission to enjoy more flexibility in their food and it gives them the ability to still socialize. It gives them the ability to feel like they're not being too restricted too soon. Now, an awful lot of the clients that I work with, an awful lot of them come from a history of very restrictive dieting, very restrictive um, calorie allowances, like 800, 1200 calories a day. And very few people need, well, no one needs 800 a day. 1200 likewise, very few people need that. And, and so my job is to try and educate them in saying, look, you can eat more and we can still achieve those physique goals that you're working on, i.e. losing some weight, i.e. building some muscle, whatever it might be. Now, I'm a proponent of balance, flexibility, enjoyment, trusting yourself and allowing things. Now, if you're regularly hitting under your calorie window, even under your BMR, so under that, that lower window, it's not a problem until it becomes a problem. Um, and the issue I don't like people trying to stick under that is because when they go over it, they feel like they're failing. And when they feel like they're failing, they just stop altogether. Or too much restriction towards that lower window or below can lead to much larger binges elsewhere in their diets. And that might be two months down the track. That might be six months down the track. And then you find it very hard to recover from there. Um, with because I know this is obviously one of my clients and I, I know her quite well I know that's probably not the case because I know that she's getting in big portions of food I know that her diet is structured well three meals two snacks a day um, I know that she has that that core foundation that she needs it just so happens her calories probably aren't where they need to be and that also you could argue is probably there's going to be a slight variance in terms of the way she tracks those calories as well uh, so she might not be tracking completely accurately. So, you know, like the 20% variance on that, then she's probably actually somewhere nearer the BMR number or somewhere within the window that I have set her. So bottom line short, is it dangerous to stay below your BMR in terms of your caloric intake? I'd argue yes, um, provided that... Um, no, I'd argue yes for most people unless you're working with someone and they can see that you're eating enough food that you're getting a lot of volume in just to avoid those big pangs of hunger and to avoid those massive, massive, massive um, binges that can occur surreptitiously, really, that you might not even be aware of further down the track. Right, uh, what's next? Oh, and it's great that she's read all my blogs. You need to read my blogs too. This one, I have a couple of questions. What is elitist gym culture and how is it harmful? Does it create a barrier to entry? This is in response to, I think, one of my Instagram posts that I did a little while ago. Um, 
Again, if you don't follow me on there, it's at the underscore gym underscore starter. Uh, what was that post? Here we go. So I wrote on Instagram, physical activity is a human right. As an industry, we have a duty to make that right as accessible as possible to those who want to learn, engage and develop their abilities in this way. Elitism in fitness only serves ego and continues to worsen the fabric of society. Now, what is elitism in fitness? It's a huge topic and I've not seen many people talk about it, but we kind of probably all talk about it to a degree. Elitism in fitness, I suppose, one example would be um, how people kind of only expect people to be in the gym if they know what they're doing, which is ridiculous because then you're never encouraging new people to come to the gym Um, and you're never encouraging people who need to or want to take control of their movement and their fitness and their physical health in that way. Um, They're never... You, you know, like if you create an elitist environment where it's like, I know things you don't know, um, you shouldn't be here if you don't look that way, or you shouldn't be here if you don't know how to do a squat, etc., etc., then yes, that does clearly create a massive barrier to entry. And that is an element of elitist gym culture. Other th- elements of elitist gym culture that are a bit more surreptitious could be marketing, in the sense that, you know, we only ever use marketing of, you know, thin people or muscular men and and that's like an elitist mindset that you know you're only worthy to be in the gym and and to explore your physical fitness if you look a certain way if you feel a certain way if you behave in a certain way um other things as well is like people who just perpetuate organic food all the time and like you know organic is best it's the only thing you should eat and stuff like that that creates a massive barrier to entry i mean you, you probably can't call this elitist gym culture but these kinds of people do often exist in the gym. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm sure organic food is lovely, but it's bloody expensive. And I know I can't afford organic food. So if I can't, then I'm sure other people can't in society. And, you know, by always saying that, you know, these things are optimal for health, and if you can't achieve them, then you're not doing, you're not able to look after yourself, is just wrong. It's just not true. Um, you know, like no GMO fruit and, and stuff like that. It's just absolute nonsense. Like by saying that, by telling someone who's feeling vulnerable when they're trying to take control of their health that, you know, you should only be allowed to have organic food um, because of, you know, genetic modified everything else. It's just nonsense because you're then putting, um, a, you're putting another barrier in the way for that person who probably already struggles for their fruit and vegetable intake you're putting another barrier in the way to allowing them to actually just start eating fruits and vegetables. Now, I don't know anyone in the world that would not agree that eating more fruits and vegetables is not good for you. So why would you say that to someone? Why would you make them feel crap? If they're eating an apple and then you go, oh, is it organic? And they're like, no. You're like, oh, that's naughty. You're just going to make that person feel like crap and that's not good enough. Other massive barriers to entry that I see time and time again is gyms charging too much, whether that be for personal training or whether that be for memberships, tying people into contracts, tying people, you know, for X amount of 
months and things like that, I personally think that is elitist. I think you are trying to section your little gym out to only serve people, a very small elitist section of society who can afford it. And that's not good enough. Like, if you want to improve health, like, because also you go to these gyms and they're all about, oh, we need to tackle the obesity crisis. Okay, I mean, there isn't one. But anyway, okay, if you want to tackle the obesity crisis, then making your services too expensive with which to do that is not helping because most people who struggle with their body weight, most people who are in a higher weight body are also on the lower end of society, are also the people who are more impoverished, are also the people who struggle to hold down work, are also people who feel marginalized by society. And therefore, when you say, oh, you need to spend a ridiculous amount of money for a ridiculous amount of time in order to take charge of your health and fitness, it's no wonder people don't want to come to gyms. It's no wonder people think, hang on, I'm not sure that's a good idea for me because I feel vulnerable as it is because of the state I'm in. I feel vulnerable financially. I feel vulnerable physically. I feel vulnerable mentally. And therefore, I really, 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 really don't like the idea of signing up six months when I can't even prove to myself right now that I could even do it for a week. And it doesn't matter how good you are at coaching. I know this to be true. It does not matter how good you are as a gym, as a business, as a personal trainer, online or elsewhere. It doesn't matter how good you are. Someone is always going to feel that vulnerability. And if you try and tie them into contracts and if you try and make sure the pricing is so high that it motivates them to take action, it doesn't. It just puts them into a more vulnerable position. Like, I appreciate we have to make a living in this industry. God knows I appreciate that. But surely the best way to make a living is to make sure that you can help the masses. It's not to make sure you can only help a select few people. And that select few people are the people who actually could probably figure it out in a much better way themselves. They're probably higher educated. They're probably living in places where it's safe to go for a walk. They probably have private health care so they can talk to better doctors, dietitians, and nutritionists about all of this stuff. You know, like, yeah, I'm a socialist at heart. And, you know, it's like elitist gym culture. Like, look at it. For instance, just look at the way gyms are set up. Just look at the way... Um, like, you know, benches are all, you know, if you live in a high weight body, some machines in a gym are just not comfortable to sit on. And that is a fact. That's not, that's not uh, being soft or anything like that. That's just a fact. People don't feel comfortable sitting on certain machines. They don't feel comfortable squeezing themselves into machines sometimes. And there is not a single gym in the world that has ever taken that into account that I'm aware of. There might be that I'm aware of, that I've come across, um, that has, you know, specifically asked, or there's not a company that specifically started to design machines for other people in society. They are mass-produced to fit a certain body type in a certain way, and everyone else has to just make do trying to fit into that shape. And I just don't think it's good enough. Another sign of elitist gym culture? Disability. I've been training a client for five years um, both in person and online, and she has cerebral palsy. And she is one of the greatest people I've ever come across when it comes to 
working with as a client because she has one of the highest barriers I've ever seen to working on a fitness, but she doesn't let it stop her. We come up with solutions. I say to her, how about we try this? She's like, you know me, I'm willing to give it a go. And she does. And yeah, it's not always perfect, but it doesn't matter because I, when she came to me, she told me the story that she was in a class at a gym once and the, the, guy, the guy running the class, I think it was a guy running the class said, I'm like, oh, we're doing squat thrusters or something like that. And my client, like her lower limbs don't operate um, normally. That's her disability. The cerebral palsy has affected her lower limbs and they don't operate in a way that my legs operate, for instance. So she um, walked up to, to, the, um, to the instructor and just said, look, I, I can't do squat thrusters. Like, it, it's just not going to work for me. Have you got an alternative? And the man turned around and went, no. If you can't do them, get out of class. To a disabled person. Like, it's just disgusting. And it happens throughout the world, all of the time, every day, in every way, and in every manner. And it's just not good enough, okay? Now, that you could look at my business and go, well, you charge X amount for personal training. And that's hardly affordable for those who are impoverished in society. And you're right. Yeah, because I still have to make a living myself. Okay, and there's always a balancing act with this. But I also try to make sure that I balance my business in other ways. So I don't tie people into contracts. I don't do minimum terms. I don't say, well, you can only do it this way in this manner with me and you have to pay this much up front, etc., etc. Signing on fees. What the hell is a signing on fee when you sign up to a gym? Oh, you know, it's going to cost X amount of dollars just for you to sign this bit of paper that is also telling you you're about to part with, I don't know, three or four thousand pounds over the next year. What? I'm sorry, that gym is going to take you as a client no matter what because I believe me you, or believe you me, that gym loves signing up new clients no matter what, whether there's a signing on fee or not. Honestly, if you ever walk into a gym and they say, well, you know, there's a signing on fee, you know, you stand your ground and say there is no way I'm paying that because they will not refuse your business because it's not in their interest to refuse that signing on fee. And if they don't waive it, just walk out and go, that's immoral. That's disgusting. See you later. Because it is immoral and disgusting. What, like, what is the gym going to do? Like, process some paperwork. Behave yourself. All they do is they, they take it. They then type your details into some payment thing, which you probably do in that moment. That's it. Off you go. There's no extra cost attached to signing up a client. I mean, I do it around the world every single month and it doesn't cost me a penny to do. So why would I create a signing on bonus? It's absolutely infuriating. And these things are all part of creating elitism. These are all things that are designed to try and make fitness only a space for those who fit the narrative of who can and afford, can afford to get fit. And it leaves people feeling useless it feels people leaving stuck and it feels people leaving very marginalized even more in an industry where we're meant to care about people in an industry where we're meant to look after people we're meant to give people hugs we're meant to encourage people we're meant to encourage them we're meant to help them we're meant to empathize with them we're meant to be their number one cheerleader and what that comes at a ridiculous barrier to entry before you can get access to all of that. I just don't think it's good enough. I just don't. And I absolutely detest the fact that 
stuff like this exists. Um, and each and every day, I will always try to empower people to find ways around it. Oh, what a rant. I'm sorry. Uh, that really got me going, didn't it? <laughs> right. Um, and second question here. And maybe linked to that, when I'm in the gym, being a person in a high weight body, um, good use of terminology there. So, and maybe link to that. When I'm in the gym, being a person in a higher weight body, I mostly feel like I am the outcast trying to sit with the cool kids at lunch. Can you give some direction on common gym etiquette? Uh, if anyone's judging you, tell them to fuck off, basically. Um, is probably the best common gym etiquette I've ever come across. So the word's etiquette. I just call it etiquette because I'm cool. Uh, look, I spent most of my life trying to have lunch with the cool kids and I've turned out okay and they never accepted me either. So I like, there's no etiquette to, to be upheld. The only etiquette you need to uphold is obviously, you know, smile, be nice, do your thing, put your weights away, wipe your machines down, like just general standard kind of stuff. In terms of etiquette for others, no. You, you have as much right to be in that space as anybody else, completely irregardless of your experience level, your body weight, and anything else. If you have paid to be in that gym, you have a right to be there. Um, even if you haven't paid to be in that gym, but the people who own the gym have said, no, come along. You have a right to be there. You do not have more or less of a right than anybody else based on any other factors in your life. Whether you are disabled, whether you are thin or in a low weight body, whether you are in a high weight body, whether you struggle with your mental health, whether you are a personal trainer, whether you are a gym newbie, whether you've been going for 15 years, whether you are Arnold Schwarzenegger, whether you are the president of the United States of America, or whether you are me. You have, I like the fact that I topped that list there. You have as much right to be in that space as anybody else. Full stop, finite, end of discussion. And if anyone tells you otherwise, if anyone tells you otherwise, they are in the wrong. I can assure you that much. And I would also like to say if anyone says that you don't belong here or anything like that. If it was me, I'd report them to the gym owners and I would ask for an investigation and ask them to question whether that person's membership should remain because it's just not good enough. Um, gyms are not for people who look like they should go to the gym. Gyms are for society to help improve the health and well-being of society. Back to the question about elitist gym culture. Like, even it's not just gym culture, it's healthcare culture as well. It's government policy in relation to health and fitness as well. And it's, you know, it exists throughout the whole narrative on health. And it's tough. And all you can do is become more aware of it. And all you can do is um, just try and stand up to it when you see it. Right, next question. What happens if you eat too much protein? This comes from a new listener. Hello, if you're listening right now, um, you know who you are. I like to keep people anonymous. Um, but what happens if you eat too much protein? Um, well, you're going to be ingesting more calories, uh, number one. 
You might get bad breath, number two. Have you ever heard of keto breath? That's not good. Um, I think generally, like, there's out there, there's some uh, association between, you know, kidney damage and protein and stuff like that. Now, as far as I'm aware, there's not a single study in the world that actually relates um, kidney damage to higher protein intake unless you already have kidney damage, I think is the caveat to that. So as long as you know your organs are healthy, then too much protein isn't a big deal. I find that if I eat too much whey protein, I get bad digestion, I get a bad stomach, um, and bad digestion after that, which isn't fun. Uh, So that's a negative of having too much protein. Um, But generally, I mean, what is too much protein? I recommend everyone should aim for about 100 grams a day. If you're vegetarian, 80 grams a day, and that's enough. I mean, you know, if you're slamming four shakes a day, that's probably not good. That's probably just not good for your relationship with food, your mental health, and things like that. Not necessarily what it might do to your body. It's probably at some point just a waste of money. Um, So aim for 100 grams a day, and you'll be absolutely fine. Um, Like, the, the one thing with... It's hard, because... When you increase protein in a diet, normally carbohydrates decreases and fat will likely increase as well. And therefore, your caloric intake is naturally going to go up because fat has nine calories per gram, protein has four calories per gram, and carbohydrates has four calories per gram. So when somebody starts eating a more high-protein diet, a natural recurrence of that is an increase in fat because generally some of that protein will come from red meat. And we know there's an association between red meat and cancer. And um, so health could decline there. But also there's an association because the association to cancer is because there's more saturated fat in it. And, and then you're down that path, uh, that rabbit hole of dietary advice. So let's just pull it all back. Too much protein, not a big deal. I'd be amazed if you are eating too much protein unless you are purposefully slamming four or five shakes a day. You know, I only have a shake a day at most, um, normally after I work out. Might have two sometimes, depending if I've worked out really early in the morning and then I'm doing a game or something later at night. Um, and, and that would be it. Uh, and dietarily, I'd be surprised if you're eating too much protein, unless you're eating like five chicken breasts stacked on top of each other and things like that. But just be careful. Be aware of the association of red meat and... Um, what happens is it's not the protein that's the issue there, it's the dietary fat. Um, and that's that's that. Uh, so that's kind of it really um, with that. Oh, also, you know, other cancers to be aware of um, when it comes to eating high red meat-based proteins is obviously um, breast cancer comes along and prostate cancer just because it's harder to digest sometimes. So I'd say the main thing with eating too much protein will be your calories will just go up and therefore you won't lose weight, you'll actually gain weight. So like everything, we need to work within parameters for the body. And the final question for today, do protein requirements change as we age? Very good question. Now, protein requirements don't change based on physical age. Protein requirements will only change based on the size of the body that you're in. Um, so we always correlate diet to the organism that the diet is going into. Um, so like, you know, I recommend 100 grams a day for most people because that generally covers most bases. 
Um, but if you used to really knuckle down, some people say like 1.1 gram of protein per kilogram of body weight or per pound of body weight. And therefore the numbers will always fluctuate. I would actually argue as you age, if anything, the number will start to decrease um, in terms of protein because as you get older, you're going to lose muscle mass. Not a lot, like it takes a long time. But you know, if you think of an elderly person, like I train an 83 year old, actually I've got her in 10 minutes, and her protein requirements are far, far less because she has less muscle on her body because she's 83. Like she's got older. So her body has got smaller and, um, and I mean, she's, not, she's amazing. But, and therefore, you know, she doesn't need as much protein. She doesn't need as much food in general to keep her going. And you'll find that with older people as well. They don't need as much food because they just don't burn as much energy throughout the day anymore um, because everything's just a bit slower. Their needs, their non-exercise activity thermogenesis decreases and therefore they just don't need to eat as much. And, and that's really all that would happen. You, uh, you know, it's important to eat protein to preserve muscle mass. It's very important to eat enough protein to preserve muscle mass, especially if you're in a deficit and especially as you are getting older, it will help. But that doesn't mean that it changes because you're getting older. It means it changes because your body is changing and they're two slightly different things. Um, Yes, I hope that answers it. Right, thank you for listening. I'm sorry I went on such a big rant in the middle, but I hope you found it entertaining um, and useful and informative and educational, which is the point of this. So the next podcast will be going out and it will be uh, whatever blog post I choose um, to do as a kind of audio, which will be a very interesting experiment. And I really hope you have an amazing day. I really hope you're well. And I literally cannot wait to hear from you again um also please make sure if you want to submit questions to the podcast then please um send me a friend request via my website added to that if you like the fitness solution and my voice then please leave it a review and whatever you listen to your podcasts have a great day oh and one other thing to say is my love my support and my thoughts are with ukraine right now peace love and protein ciao ciao